0: Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. In this episode, Joel Perez talks to Peter Rios about Dr. Rios's book Untold Stories: The Latinx Leadership Experience in Higher Education. For more information about today's episode, visit
1: htiopenplaza.org.
0: Welcome to another episode of HTI Open Plaza. Today we are meeting with Dr. Peter Rios, who just wrote and wrote "Untold Stories: The Latinx Leadership Experience in Higher Education." Uh, my name is Joel Perez. Uh, Joel Perez. Uh, whatever your comfort level might be, uh, I am the owner and executive coach at Apoyo Coaching, um, and I'm also the interim executive director at the Immigration Resource Center of San Gabriel Valley in Monrovia, California. Uh, I will be your host today. Um, but let's uh, meet Dr. Peter Rios. Uh, just a little background with, uh, about uh, Dr. Peter Rios. Uh, he is a lecturer at Penn State and founder of Peter Rios Consulting. Peter has worked with diverse organizations, including businesses, religious institutions, government, higher education institutions, and nonprofits of the, in the areas of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, Leadership Development, and Organizational Change. You can find out more about uh, Dr. Rios at www.peterriosconsulting.com. Welcome, Dr. Rios. How are you?
1: Thank you, Dr. Perez. Good to be here with you. Glad to be together. Y saludos a todos.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we have a few questions and get get to know you a little bit and 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 your book, hear more about your book and um, how you got started. And so I, the first question I want to lead with is, what inspired you to write Untold Stories?
1: Yeah, that's, you know, that that's a good question in terms of how does this even start. Um, it, it started basically with, with my own experiences um, as an executive leader um, in institutions, uh, colleges and universities, particularly in the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities, also known as the CCCU. And um, while I had some uh, wonderful opportunities and um, also growth, you know, and leadership development opportunities, I also uh, was struggling in terms of having uh, experienced bias, discrimination, and at times some oppression and just really wondering, you know, am I the only person going through this? Is it just Mm -hmm. because it's me? Is it because I'm Latinx, Latino? Or are other Latinos, Latinas, Latinx, and other people of color experiencing these types of um, encounters? Now, you know, if you know the literature in higher ed um, leadership and other organizational theory and leadership you know, literature, um, there's a common theme uh, many times about people of color, and, but, but I, I didn't want to assume that, you know, And so that's how um, just really you know, thinking through, like, is this my own experience or others? And so that was really the birth of the project. Okay. I
0: was reading your book. And by the way, uh, for those of you who have not picked it up, you should go out and get it. Um, It's available either at the publisher or Whip Stock uh, or Amazon, if that's where you prefer to shop or Barnes and Noble, uh, it is available. I would encourage you to make sure you get a copy. But as I was reviewing your book in preparation for our time together, I, I highlighted a particular sentence uh, towards the end of the book where you say, you know, you talk about being driven to discover some type of closure and healing for yourself. Um, say more about that as it relates to this particular project that you took on.
1: Right. So like I said, the context of the book is Christian higher education. In other words, you know, institutions that have religious affiliation and um, being a person of faith myself, Christian um and and being again it's ambivalence right because at the one on the one hand you're called you feel faithful to the mission you're excited about the mission of a university of college you know you're impacting people's lives you're developing leaders you're serving the church in that capacity but at the same time you're experiencing from within uh bias discrimination oppression uh marginalization and so i'm like you know, and that hurts, right? That, you know, that, that brought some, uh, some hurt, some traumas and, and other, the folks I interview talk about that. Um, I think going through this project, this research and, you know, learning that I wasn't the only one, first of all, really helped me to, uh, have more confidence in myself, right? Okay. This is not me. This is not just me. Um, and um, uh, hearing the experiences of these other leaders. And by the way, these leaders who had served in these spaces way longer than me, right? Mm -hmm. So if you add up the years, it's like, I think more than 140 years of experience in higher education leadership. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not talking about just anyone, right? No es cualquier cosa. So, um, so, So that really brought closure First of all, like building my own confidence. Okay, it isn't just me. Others have experienced this, and then talking out with these, you know, competent uh, leaders about um, their experiences, but also what strategies they have taken. You know, so somebody talked about self-care and and also really knowing how to unplug from the context. And even though it is the call, it isn't your whole life, right? And so you need to be fed into comunidad, right? And your community. And then, so that all has helped me to take kind of like a full circle of my own leadership, my own self-development, you know, self-leadership in terms of self-care, in terms of, um, you know, spending more intentional time with God and 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 getting fed there. Um, also being conscious of other people who may be coming up in the ranks and uh, empowering them, you know, and, and what, what I have received now I'm giving it like, it ain't you, you know, like you're doing what you can. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, at times we can be, you know, uh, an issue. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but, but that's not the case in this area. Um, and so I think that has been healing. That has Mm -hmm. been really healing. Now I know you've also been higher ed, so you've got your own stories and you've been an executive. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was actually gonna, I was gonna, uh, share that, uh, right now because as I was reading this book, I really saw myself in the story. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I have over have worked in higher education over 20 plus years in various roles I started off as a hall director uh, or you know living on campus with the students in in, in the residence halls the dorms and as a Latino uh, I myself a graduate of a CCCU school. um, Which uh, all the participants you interviewed were um, leaders at CCCU schools. And then I myself have found myself leading at CCCU school. So I saw myself a lot in in, in your participants as you met with them, uh, seeing myself in that story, which is really powerful for me um, because it, of course, I resonated, right? I, I, could, I could see their struggle because I felt it. I've been there. Uh, and now outside of higher education, looking in, and some of my coaching clients in Christian higher education, Trying to navigate that space of what you will later talk about, you know, the code switching, being a chameleon. What does that mean? Right. Uh, Self care is a big topic for me and my clients, and trying to help them, um, you know, come to some level of being good at taking care of themselves, separating themselves from their work, so it ha- so it doesn't have a negative impact on their mental health and physical well being. Um, right. So yeah, I I just appreciated these stories uh i'm curious dr rios as you thought about the project as you started writing it uh putting it in book form um who who was your target audience who who do you want who whose hands do you want this book to get into um uh and, 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 yeah so who is it that you're wanting to read this book
1: yeah so i i am a uh conscious as you know now a published author I'd love everybody to get the book and read it but um, as also a person who's been in business and you know has has done leadership scholarship at you know at the highest level I understand also you have usually a target or a target market but um, I think that you know at, at first like I mentioned the context of the of the book is the CCCU right so colleges and universities that belong to the CCCU member or affiliate member institutions but I also think there's a, a second branch to that is you know that, that can be all colleges and universities or organizations that have a religious affiliation especially from a Christian bent and then I would say you know also anyone who works at a college or university uh, would mm. be interested in this research and in this work and particularly if you you know if you're Latina Latino if you're thinking about Enrolling in one of these schools, I think um, you need to go in with your eyes open, right? And and what are the uh, possibilities? What you will encounter? Um, and I think that you know, especially you know, I would, I really want the, because I think that you know, the bottom line is that we didn't just write it to get this information out to vent, or you know, mm-hmm. this is true scholarship data at its essence showing what's going on in this context. And so I would say that the majority culture, right, you know, uh, the white leaders, you know, that are presidents, provosts, VPs, um, I, I really, you know, would would love for them to read it, to to discuss it, to, you know, invite others to be a part of this conversation. But, but then let's think strategically, you know, how are we going to, you know, if we're really um, looking into the de- demographic shifts of the United States, the, one of the fastest-growing student populations is Latinx. Besides other students of color, um, and you have a de- decline of white students, then you know, are you really being serious about mm-hmm. your DEI, right? Your diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives. And um, let's move away from the historic aesthetics of you know diversity, equity, inclusion. Let's talk about organizational reframing, yeah. structures, policies, right? things that we have in place that actually um, I would I argue through the research that it continues to perpetuate the opposite of what many majority culture leaders in these institutions are saying they want. You know, we want, they, they say, we want diversity. We want, uh, you know, uh, diverse student population. We want leaders of color. We want other minoritized groups to be within our context. Yet um, what we have experienced and what the people, the leaders I interviewed, continuously state is that you know whiteness right white supremacy uh white privilege continues to be upheld and anything that's against that um can be seen as uh, contrary to the mission of the organization uh sometimes you know kind of it's code for you're not mission fit or you're not you don't really belong here and right, it's kind right. of religious talk for really like yeah we don't really want you here and Mm-hmm. So, so I think those are important conversations that we need to have and we're in a day and age where, um, you know, we, we need to really think strategically about that change and innovation that we desire.
0: Yeah, I know that's really good. I think uh, a lot of times, like you said, institutions are wanting to be more aesthetically pleasing right so they, they'd like to add diversity. Uh, particularly around ethnicity, but but right. they don't realize that in order to, to sustain those efforts, <laughs> they have to di- dig deep and unearth uh, what's at the root, and that requires systemic change, right? right. And so what you're presenting here is a, a good dialogue or discourse on how do you start doing that, and it's not just about recruiting students of color, Um, but it's about looking at your structures and your policies and procedures, how you hire. So if you want to move beyond the performative statements, the performative hiring to real change, you got to think about how you change the structure in order to facilitate the change that a lot of Christian higher education and all higher education leaders say they want, right? So it's not just Christian colleges, but I've been in circles with other executive leaders across the country that are presidents, white presidents, and they're saying the same thing, regardless of whether they're at a Christian college or a community college or you know a state school, um, whatever the case may be, um, Mm -hmm. you got you got to roll up your sleeve and it takes heavy lifting, right? And that's not what people want. They want an easy solution. And that's not what it is. Yeah. You, You know, you as you were talking, you started to go down this path a little bit. I want to explore it. Uh, because you use critical race theory as a methodology for your research, right? Uh, in in the book, um, and as you know, there's so much controversy around CRT right now in Christian circles, yeah. and not just Christian circles, right? Any community. I mean, I just saw a video of an angry mob at a at a school board meeting, right? Upset because the school, in, in their eyes, teaches critical race theory. So why why did you use CRT? Um, uh, sp- specifically, as the methodology in, in you know, as you as you wrote this book and, and worked on this project.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to answer that question, but I'm going to go back to uh, what you were saying. I, I'm glad you brought it up. That um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is not only a prevalent issue in uh, schools that are <clears throat> that have religious affiliations. Uh, however, we do see in the research that. Um, so, so, for example, public uh, institutions, private, you know, institutions, uh, community colleges also struggle with with whiteness and right having a dominant majority culture still leading still leading the curriculum, you know, sure. how to do things on campuses. Uh, but we do see that in religious affiliate institutions, primarily those that are uh, within the CCCU it's it's twice as, mm. as difficult. There's tw- okay. there's. Two times less of administrators of color or of faculty, right? So we have those numbers, um, and and um, so so you know wanting to get the voices out of the leaders that I was interviewing, you know, I, I use critical race theory, I use Latina Latino crit theory, intersectionality, and narrative inquiry. Um, <clears throat> critical race theory just made the most sense because I it's a qualitative study, and I and I really. Uh, appreciate how crit lends itself to give uh, a platform, you know, to allow people who have been marginalized the opportunity to speak, right, to, to, to um, be able to, uh, I don't want to say combat, but, but, you know, have their own narrative. So it's going counter to meta narratives, right, and so um i think that it's a little funny it's a little silly you know like why in christian circles we have issues with crit um you know not to be overly religious right but we're people of faith and think about it you know jesus himself said you know you should know the truth and the truth shall set shall set you free right and so it's (laughs) like well why don't why wouldn't we want to know the truth that's gonna help us be free that's one Mm -hmm. the other thing is that crit so in chapter five you know we entitled it Testimonios, right? Testimonies. Well, in 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 the Christian faith, that's huge, right? Testimony is huge. I don't know about you, but growing up, we used to always have te- eh, curtos de testimonios, yeah, testimony yeah. services, you know, mm-hmm. and people would stand up and say how what God has done, and you know, and and this brother, this sister, this person would say, you know, look at this, see this. And so that that was that's huge in the faith. I go back also to the primitive church, right? Mm-hmm. The primitive church used oral tradition. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the apostles and other witnesses, eyewitnesses, they would go to synagogues and other places um, uh, uh, where people were congregating, whether that was a house or whatnot. And if they were fortunate enough, they'd have a scroll, you know, um, you know, uh, of, of the Old Testament, of the old canon. And then they would, you know, the, old, the New Testament wasn't written yet, right? So we have to remember that while while the apostles were preaching and taking on the, you know, the message of the gospel and sharing after Christ, you know, goes to heaven. Okay, well, there's no written New Testament canon yet. And so it was oral tradition. This is what we saw. This is what we heard. It's evident in the gospel of Luke, right? And in the book of Acts, you know, so Mm -hmm. he's writing to Theophilus and he's saying, this is what we've learned. This is, you know, so yeah, Luke was with Paul in in, uh, the book of Acts. And we know that because he mentions it like four times. There's like these verses that say we. So he's referring to himself and Paul. But in the gospel of Luke, it's mostly, you know, what he heard, what what he investigated. And so that's that's where I feel like critical race theory has uh, so much, um, it's so good because we're giving other people the opportunity to speak for themselves, you know, where historically history has been written one-sided right Mm -hmm. let's let's take it further like men have had the opportunity to write more to speak more to teach more to lead more than Mm -hmm. women and other Mm -hmm. minoritized groups and we can't deny that and so i think it's um as what christina cleveland would say it's sharing you know it's brain space and sharing you're broadening the table right Mm -hmm. allowing Mm -hmm. other people uh to be involved and so that's that's what it is
0: that's great oh that that's wow that's a lot there and for those of you listening, you may want to replay that whole section just so you pick it up and 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 absorb it because there was a lot that you just said there that people need to hear. Um, and thank you for sharing. Um, tell me, so you interviewed? Was it uh, five participants? Correct.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so five? that's I, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry I didn't get to that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't. I knew that because this this area is is a difficult one, right? For us yeah. to for us to uh, manage. So. I like what Miguel de la Torre talks about in, in several of his books about when you are challenging power, profit, or privilege, it's always going to be some trouble, right? Yeah. And so when you are trying to navigate whiteness, white supremacy, when you're trying to navigate actually any structures of oppression, any, any organizational power dynamics, and you can seem to be, uh, uh, you're not... Aligning with that, then that can be a problem because it's going to, you know, it's going against the norm, right? Normative ideologies, but I I knew that I needed uh, people who were reputable, right? So all of the people I interviewed had PhDs, excuse me, they had to have served in in the CCCU uh, more than three years. They were all deans or above. So I'm talking about deans, provosts, vice presidents, et cetera. <clears throat> and you know, all of them taught as well, so they had that that balance of administration and teaching. And uh, they had they they had to come from a Latinx background. So just think about it. You have one hundred and forty plus institutions within the CCCU in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. only uh, if, if I'm if my mind, my 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 brain <laughs> serves me well, you know, There was only about uh, a dozen, 10 to 12 Mm. people that fit Mm. that bill, including myself. And so, you know, um, half a dozen that I got a hold of agreed. Mm. You know, I I, I talked to you about this. I wish I would have known you at that time, uh, although you're already outside the CCCU. But, you know, um, these these stories are important. Mm. and um i believe that they give uh substantial evidence of what we're talking about that change is not only necessary it's an imperative right yeah Yeah. um one one thing i would add is that out of the half dozen uh no other none of these leaders remain in the CCCU. so that's telling right that's telling you know including myself right including myself And, and i spoke about this with uh one of the leaders uh in christian higher ed and the person responded with well, maybe the it's the work is too hard and i just thought i just had to sit back and kind of reflect on that comment and uh, I, I i'm like wait a minute no 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 and the work is not actually too hard especially for us you know not to be uh um well let me just say you know we're resilient people right mm-hmm. and our people work hard and you know the common notion that we have to work twice as hard at times to be considered mm-hmm. half as good and so yeah i'm like yeah that, that statement doesn't fit, well, sit well with mm-hmm. me because Mm-hmm. after especially interviewing these people and and the work they're doing now uh yeah it's not that the work is too i think the context is um one that at the time um is currently you know doubling down maybe and what they believe and think and not actually listening and and like we said earlier you know if you really want to diversify well then let's make let's let's put those things in place so that we can get to a better place
0: yeah. Oh, that's great that's great yeah it's telling that you know majority of the people you interviewed are no longer at a CCCU school um because
1: well not the majority all of them all of them okay yeah <laughs> right. sorry all of right. them uh, right. that
0: is telling right there right as as to the work um the fight that we have to take on um be willing to take on the toll it takes on us uh emotionally physically and you know, one some of the work that I do with clients is is being clear about what their values are, mm-hmm. and particularly for people of color or the clients I work with, family is a big value, right? And if your job is not aligned with your values, you're not operating in all cylinders. So, um, so generally, when I do some leadership development work, as we talk about values, and then we realize, or the client realizes that the values are not aligned with the organizational values. Or the or the role the values of the role so they we end up moving to a career coaching conversation that this may be not the best space but the question right that you pose or, or the comment that the leader made you know the follow-up question is well why why is the work so hard what what contributes to the work uh, being so hard as you defined it or how do you define or what do you define as hard work um just to explore because my guess is that as, and you and I were talking yesterday, institutions are not built for people. They weren't built by people of color for people of color. Um, And so the work, any work as an administrator is hard Mm -hmm. um, because there's multiple, you know, uh, constituent stakeholders, push and pull. uh, But what can we do to change the system so that um, people like the people you interviewed can feel like they can thrive and, and be true to who they are and not always feel like they have to code switch or become chameleons like you, you talk right. about later in the book. Um, so I'm curious, uh, Peter, um, or doc, Dr. Rios, um, what do you hope the contribution will be to the discourse on this particular topic or DEI topic at CCCU schools? What's your hope? Yeah, not only,
1: um, so my hope is that uh, institutions that are within the CCCU, Christian higher education, and even public, you know, community colleges and other institutions of higher learning, um, because let's be honest, you know, there's, there's very few institutions, especially we're talking about in the U.S., that, that, that are, are doing the work and doing it right and being intentional. That's the key word, right? Intentionality. Like, nothing is going to change unless you have intentional Um, process in place, policies in place, you know, and and people working, um, you know, what are your key performance indicators? How do you measure, you know, are you diversifying? Is your curriculum more inclusive? You know, how, what's the campus climate, right? You and I were talking about that for students, the student affairs division, you know, what's the campus climate? Are people, and do people feel like they belong, not only nationally, but international, you know, Mm -hmm. folks, right? And so, the work is is difficult. It's complicated, but the key is that it's not impossible. And I think that's where. So that's what what I would I am hoping that uh, my book, you know, um, touches on that and, and provides recommendations and how right. And so people like you and me, we're consulting, we're coaching, we're we're intentionally, you know, positioned to help and to serve, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, part part of it is that I I ha- I have learned in christian circles right and institutions that are religious affiliated you know i i have gotten you know a lot of education in these spaces and it's okay to to say hey we do this well but in this area we have to improve you know i think that's what this book is providing it's providing accountability for these institutions like you know enough's enough um you 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 say you're about diversifying you say you're about equity okay well we're calling you out let's do it and we're here to help you know so so i think that's the important piece
0: okay so staying along those lines um what are some good first steps that colleges should be taking and more specifically the cccu schools uh, when it comes to dei
1: i think what we're doing here you know dialogue listening um but, but we got to get past, right? We got to get past that. We got to get past the task force. We got to get past the committees, right? We have mm-hmm. to get past, um, you know, we have this coordinator of diversity. Like, you know, I think for me, um, you have to, li- number one, you have to listen to the diversity that you currently do have mm-hmm. or listen to the diversity that you currently don't have, right? If you mm-hmm. have diversity on campus, listen to those people, listen to them, students, staff faculty administrators they're going to tell you you know um but then there's also diversity that you don't have and so Mm. bring some of those folks in right and 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 just you know know that it's going to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. uh some things may hurt hey we've been hurting for not only years for decades century you know Mm -hmm. or more Mm -hmm. since we've been allowed in higher education let's keep it real right so you know so um, we're newer to this conversation since the civil rights movement. If we want to be totally honest, right? So, um, so listening is number one. I think that some other steps is that well, people like you and me are are at, at in the disposition to come alongside, right? Some of these organizations um, and and help create a, a strategic diversity plan. Um, but then you have to have accountability with that plan, right? So if you say you know in, in a year or in two years. You want to, for example, decolonize your curriculum. Well, those are going to be difficult conversations because right. you're dealing with other antiquated structures and ideologies, you know, mm-hmm. um, policies that that we're going to have to touch, and those are sacred cows, right? And so, um, I think that having a chief diversity officer is no longer like not an option. You need a VP and chief diversity officer who reports to the president, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the very least, the provost, but I would say that person needs to be on the president's cabinet and the provost leadership cabinet. Why? Mm-hmm. That person is thinking all day, every day on how we can be more equitable. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you want that person on your team and at, at the table? Mm-hmm. Um, that person, however, cannot do everything. So right. that person is going to need a budget. Go ahead. Yep. you want to say mm-hmm. something?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. I, I've, uh, I've seen too many institutions hire someone and they're an office of one right, and, with no budget, no one reports to them and and that of course sets them up for failure
1: because yeah, they had and, yeah and then mm-hmm. it doesn't work and then they're like we well, see we tried but it didn't work right. uh, yeah. yeah you know put put the money right put money so you and i have both been executives in higher ed so the budget mm-hmm. tells us the truth where yeah. our resources being allocated or not and if your vp of of diversity has a slim budget to none then I question how, you know, serious you are about this work, right? Yeah. So that yeah. person needs a team, that person needs champions and ambassadors in each division. And mm-hmm. in each department, you need faculty to be on board, you need champions and the faculty, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that the hiring, it, it, it's the whole loop, you know, you and I can talk about this all day, it's the whole, the whole ecosystem of a university and a college, right, that yeah. needs to be involved, because it's a collaborative work. It's a collaborative effort.
0: Yeah, it's good. You identified nine themes from, from the work, right. From your research. And and I want to spend time. I'd like you to talk more about the theme of chameleon and code switching leadership that you uh, picked up from the interviews. Say more about that. What does for, for, for folks who are listening, watching who may not understand what code switching is, or have never heard of the term, or even chameleon in this context, how would you describe these two terms, and what does it mean uh, for, or what did it mean for the folks you were interviewing to code switch and be chameleons, and then also how does that generally have the impact that that has on individuals that are in leadership roles?
1: Right. There's a lot there, um, and that's even an area I would love to continue to do research and potentially, you know, even write another book. Um, but, you know, talking to these leaders, um, I I think of Tomas, You know, he mm. he 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 mentioned how, and you can read this in chapter five. He mentioned how it, it's challenge leadership is hard regardless. You know, mm-hmm. you're black, white, Asian, woman, and other. You know, leadership leading and serving is hard, but. He, he, he's saying you know when we're serving and leading in these predominantly white institutions these PWIs um you know it, sometimes you may be stepping into a context a division uh department where you're the first person of color the majority culture has ever had as a leader right mm-hmm. and so he's like you know I have stepped into places and they they have felt hostile and mm. he's like so how do I how can I be myself but yet touch their language their vernacular their their way of being and doing, right? And so he said, I, he compared it to being like a chameleon, right? So the, mm. a chameleon is a little animal that, you know, depending on their context, they can shape uh, their color changes it the transitions. Um, they kind of get camouflaged, they kind of blend, right? So he says, how can I bring all my Latinidad, right? Todo lo que soy, how can I bring all of that into a space? Mm-hmm. Connect with the people, connect with the language, He's, and he he stated that he thought that we can do this better than any other culture. He's like, no, I'm not saying that that's, you know, I, I, we'd have to do more research. Um, but I, I tend to agree because, see, we've we've grown up and we've always been uh, pretty much marginalized and have had to learn the majority culture's way of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. Where De La Torre argues the opposite. Like majority culture folks haven't necessarily had to, ha- have had to learn how we navigate life how we because systems like you said earlier have not been created with us in mind so we've had to learn to have that juggle the code switching you know is how do you step into a context as a leader and you're able again to speak the language so let's say in christian higher education there's a lot of um unspoken rules right (laughs) there's a lot of um ways of doing things, you know, your professionalism. And, and a lot of, a lot of times the standards are, are, are more majority culture ish than anything else. And so he talks about that. Now, let me tell you what it isn't. And this is, mm. I think key for us, yeah. uh, code switching and being a chameleon is bringing all of who you are. Yes. You are trying to meet the audience. You're, you're the people you're serving where they're at but you're not necessarily assimilating. I think that's where the danger is and where we need to be careful because if we assimilate as minoritized people, people of color, right? Then we're not necessarily helping the cause for diversity, equity, and inclusion. You're successful, you you, you fit in, you're also not uh, encouraging any change because you don't wanna ruffle up the nest, right? Mm -hmm. So you're assimilating mostly to whiteness or to a normative ideology and so, I think it's a negotiation, right, of, okay, these are the way things are done here, but is that equitable for everybody, or is it just good for one culture? And I think that's where, you know, is the playing field level. Yeah,
0: okay, well, that's good, that's good. You, you also, the last theme you you referenced is this idea of contextual intelligence and leadership. Say, say more about that, and, and what does that mean as you discovered that theme in your interviews?
1: So the, I, I uh, brought those in because n- n- none of the people necessarily talked about contextual intelligence, contextual leadership, but they, t- they talked about the aspects and themes of those uh, mm. theories that are, that are growing. So for mm. example, in theological circles, we have contextual theology, right? Mm. So Stephen Bevins talks about how contextual theology is theologizing according to the actual culture that you're in and i would argue that all theology is contextual right i mean it, it, theology stems from your social cultural location from your socioeconomic status from your traditions of your family your community all of that feeds into your hermeneutical and exegesis right and i'm not, I, I feel like we're having a theology class right now so but but right so that that that's every culture does that um, and so borrowing from that borrowing from contextual theology borrowing from contextual intelligence that matthew Kutz. Uh, writes about um, basically exegeting your context so i I would i would i would compare it to what the apostle paul talked about um in in one of his books he says that he has become all things right in order to win some so -hmm. in other words i'm trying to become whatever the context needs now leadership theory you know this brother um we have situational leadership right right? so Mm -hmm. whatever the situation calls for that's what the leader becomes in order Mm -hmm. to influence the context so I think it's a blend of all of that again as Latinx people, we do this uh I would say just as good or even better than some people because most of us speak multiple languages we're multiracial multicultural we've been in uh you know in places uh, marginalized even you know but we've also been able to navigate uh some of the center so we've had these unique opportunities right so we don't fit nicely in the black and white binary we're like in a whole it's a different context. Although yeah. many of us, if you're Afro-Caribbean, you, you understand that well. So yeah. that's kind of what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think what you said nails it on the head. We, we, uh, we meaning Latinos, Latinx people are able to contextualize a lot because we've had to do that right um, in, in our lives and what, in one aspect or another, depending on, you know, how we were raised being multilingual, bilingual, um, having to navigate, you know, being immigrants to, the, to our communities at times, we've had to, you know, we're, we're, we're used to being the other. And in order to be successful, we've had to, you know, adapt to our context in order to be successful. Um, the key, of course, is still maintaining um, your, your identity, your salient identities and nurturing those, because you can be an effective leader leaning into those salient identities uh, and that's a really important concept to to think about as leaders. Um, but but I'm glad I'm glad you said it the way you did. I think it's really important. I want to shift a little bit um, to maybe a couple more questions. Um, talk about leadership. So say more about how you address leadership in the book.
1: That, that's a, a great question, especially in terms of So for example, you and I have studied leadership at some of the highest levels, right? And university level PhDs. um, And um, most, you know, leadership theories, constructs, uh, styles of practice or whatnot come from a more Eurocentric male dominant perspective. And, And I can't, you know, obviously deny who I am. I'm, you know, straight puerto rican right <clears throat> um male and so that's part of who i am but the book and the research i really wanted to hear from the women that mm-hmm. i interviewed and and also within this context but in general you know and um just amazing you know how uh, their perspective especially you know dealing with the glass ceiling mm-hmm. that's that's nothing mm-hmm. new but at the same time even in the christian circle uh, the women interviewed having to deal with, you can't be too emotional because then your leadership is questioned, mm-hmm. right? You can't, you can't, um, uh, get too excited because then, well, again, you're too emotional and they question your competence and, you know, you can't show emotion and Christian higher as, right, right. as, uh, Ruth said in, in the interview and, so I think those nuances and, and, and those perspectives that many times get overlooked, and especially, let's say from my seat, maybe your seat, I can't speak for you, but um, get overlooked. You know, so that's where it's so important, right? To having that diversity. I think that the contribution that these Latin, Latinx leaders make is, again, going back to this contextual piece, going back to the intercultural, how you lead and serve as a person who is embodying diversity, um, mm-hmm. And a person who's multilingual, who's you know navigated globalization, who's lived in, the, in let's say other settings, other countries, who's come from other countries, so your perspective on leadership and serving is is going to be uh, broad. And so I think that it's a mix of all of that which yeah. makes uh, the concepts of the leadership theories and practice in this book so prevalent. Yeah. For today. Yeah.
0: yeah. Last question, Dr. Rios. Um, you, you talk about the need in creating pipelines for Latinx leaders to attain executive roles. What suggestions do you have for institutions who want to do this and, and do it well?
1: So we talked about, you know, speaking to the, uh, the folks that you have on campus, you know, mm-hmm. um, you have a lot of uh, students of color <clears throat> identify, you know, some of those students that have, Um, that have shown capacity, that have shown leadership capability, that have proven themselves already by taking on responsibilities at whatever level they're at. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have staff members, faculty, um, maybe uh, directors, right, who are not yet at the executive level, but they're showing that they can handle anything you give them. And within this type of environment, again, they're juggling not only the normal uh, stressors of higher ed, which higher ed, nobody's saying here, Jobs and you know and service and higher ed is it, easy. It's not. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're also dealing with all the other cultural you know um, issues that that occur in, in some of these uh, campuses. So I, I would say develop those people. Create a program. You know you can groom some of those folks. Um, obviously, there's a danger in some of that because then you're trying to groom them to be just like uh, right. mm-hmm. your your own culture and your own way, and so then mm-hmm. they they. There may not be as much challenging. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, overall uh, creating a pipeline from within. I think also, you know, higher ed institutions and organizations in general at times can be very uh, siloing, right? Like just in these silos. And you have to think outside, you know, think outside the box, Uh, connect with networks that you're usually not connected with. Mm -hmm. So now today, there's a bunch of different Asian, right? Latinx you know, African-American, I mean, there's just so many networks, so many societies, so many organizations. Um, HTI is one of them, right? So, I mean, like, there's already, there already exists all of these opportunities, these rich resources that as an institution and, lead, and leader of these institutions, you can connect with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, you know, that's like, there's been like these excuses. We can't diversify because we can't find anybody. We can't diversify because uh, we can't find people who are competent enough. Right. Mm -hmm. We can't diversify because no one wants to move to this, to this town or, and I'm like, you know, I think we've already debunked all of that. Many of us have lived in the Midwest and the South, you know, in rural areas, we're willing, you know, and, and, and we have a lot of competent people, you know, so, Mm -hmm. so, um, that's also I, I feel like you got to challenge yourself like okay do I if I think this if I feel like this, why is this really true, let me ask. Yeah,
0: no that's good I I uh, I can't name the amount of times I was on search committees, um, where people would say well they're not going to move here I'm like well they applied for the job right they're in the they're in the pipeline. They know where we are, so why are you <laughs> saying they won't be willing to move here if right. you ha- we haven't offered them the job? So, right. um, and search committees do this not. I mean, for I mean, it's it, they're notorious for, well, well, they're not going to take the job. We're not going to pay them enough. Um, and and I'm like, they're in the pipeline. They applied for the job. They know the salary range. Um, let's get them through the process. And if we want to hire them, we offer them a job, and we do the best possible to put roll the red carpet out and we make it hard right. for them to say no. Exactly. Um, and so that's the right, that's the attitude search committees, hiring managers need to have instead of like, well, you know, this guy's not going to come because we're, you know, we're a rural community or there there's no other people of color here. Um, and so, and I would say, well, let me worry about the recruitment piece. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my job. That's why I'm on the search committee, but don't rule people out because you have this, This bias that's already in your head and that's where you know the the, how how implicit bias can impact uh, a hiring process right
1: right so so there you talk you touch on some good stuff and I'm laughing here because you know we lived in in a in a small town a few years ago where I was serving and and, um, I could never get a good haircut you know (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's not my problem peter i could get a haircut anywhere right
1: now Uh, it seems silly but you know one person took like this type of razor thing and was like going over my hair and and kind of commented like this is good for like your type of hair i'm like okay and i just never went back there but um you know if i wanted to get a good haircut i had to travel an hour and a half that's an you know but but we did it right like you said pull out the red carpet the, the interesting thing is, is that we're so willing to pull out the red carpet for our own, but when it comes right, to others, right. it's That's like, right. no, it's like, and, and so I'm thinking like, we'll go back to that word intentionality, what Daryl Smith talks about, right? in right. her book, Diversity Matter- uh, Diversity's Promise to Higher Ed, like, you know, um, is your committee even built, you know, is, if it's all majority culture, all men, like, how are you going to recruit diversity? You know, how are you yeah. going to recruit what you don't have? There's other strategies, right? If you're mm-hmm. recruiting faculty, mm-hmm. well, recruit uh, diverse faculty in clusters. Don't bring one person, right, right. three, five, 10, 12, yeah, right. and bring them in as a cohort so that they are their own support system. Yeah. Um, I think that things like that is how you invest into the now and future. And and let's just do away with the excuses. Let's just do away, you know, with, and, and, and a lot of times I think it's just fear, right? Yeah, sure. Fear of the unknown, fear of, And so when, and I would say a message for people like us and other people who are going into these spaces, be conscious of that, be conscious that maybe how you do things is different. And so be sensitive to that also, because there's a part we have to bring, right? Right.
0: right. Yeah. Yeah. wow, that's, that's a lot. And we, we, we covered a lot of different topics. And again, I want to encourage the listeners, uh, viewers to pick up the book, Untold Stories, the Latinx Leadership Experience in Higher Education. Um, Dr. Rios, thank you. Before before we end, how do people find you? Like like how how do you know? I know we're gonna put some stuff in, in the right, show right. notes and such, but but right now, if I, I wanted to find Dr. Rios, where would I go? And 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 yeah, and what do you do?
1: Yeah, so so let me just uh, before I go there and 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 we finish and answer that. Let me just one one more last remark that you know we're in this work, we're doing it because we care. Uh, you know, we're doing it out of a place of love. Um, our intentions, our motivation is to reach that uh, revel. Is it Revelation seven, right? When the right. Apostle John saw a multitude of people, different languages, different nations, worshiping the Lamb of God, and and like just everybody's there. You see difference, right? You you know there's other people, but together, some way somehow, we're trying to figure it out. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's important. I think that you know that that we're no one is trying to get the upper hand on anybody. Again, trying to make the playing field uh, uh, equal for all, right? And, and mm-hmm. so that we all have access and that we can make and help each other to be better. I mean, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. The body of Christ is supposed to be exactly that—a yeah. body. Yeah. So we we are supposed to become one, right? Mm-hmm. And so. I just want to just mention that because yeah, sometimes in this great. work, it kind of be mm-hmm. like, feel negative. Yeah. No, it's not negative. We, we want to grow together. We yeah, want to work together. Good. We want to, you know, bless one another. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, you can find, definitely uh, get more information uh, at our website at uh, www.peterreelsconsulting.com. That's peterreelsconsulting.com. Um, on our website, you can learn more about our services, about <clears throat> different industries we serve. You can see other clients we've had. Um, you know, people uh, working for with institutions like Duke Divinity, to Harvard, to mm-hmm. USC, to other institutions in the CCCU. Um, and, and definitely there's some links there. you know, download a free ebook. Um, get, please get untold stories, share the word with others. and um, and we're you know, we're here to help. We're here to serve however we can. If we can't help, if we can't serve, if we don't know how, trust me, we will find you somebody who can, who will, right? And so whether that's calling Dr. Perez or Dr. Perez and I partnering or or calling somebody else. And so I want to thank HTI for this opportunity, uh, Joanne and the leadership, and um, uh, also yourself, uh, Dr. Perez, thank you for being uh, engaged with us today.
0: Yeah, again, thank you for inviting me to be part of this conversation, uh, Dr. Rios, and yeah, for me, if you want to find me, it's uh, www.apoyocoaching.com, um, and you can learn more about the services I provide and, and, and what I do and, and how I do it. Uh, thank you for joining HCI Open Plaza today, um, and we're signing off. Gracias. Thank you. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program, or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent, does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.